0: We are glad you're with us on this Saturday morning. I'm Mike Colombo and this is Postscripts. Each week on the show we discuss news and politics with our news partners at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Joining me in studio is Christopher Ave. He's the national and political editor at the Post. And to his right is Fox 2's Vic Faust. He's here to discuss his exclusive interview this week with St. Louis native Eric Schmidt. Schmidt was appointed this week by Missouri Governor Mike Parson to replace Josh Hawley as the state's next Attorney General. And joining us from Jefferson City is post-dispatch reporter Jack Suntrup. He'll also assist in our politics discussion this morning. We will start, though, with Vic's exclusive interview of Missouri's next top cop, Eric Schmidt.
1: Yes. Eric Schmidt says the most important job he'll ever have is husband to his wife Jamie and father to Stephen, Sophia, and Olivia.
2: But his love of law shall social system run, free of laws, not men, was something that I understood at an early age and I wanted to be a part of that.
1: Schmidt says he grew up with humble means in North St. Louis County. He says he learned work ethic from his dad who put in 12-hour shifts seven nights a week. He says he learned compassion from his children, specifically 14-year-old Stephen, who was born with a rare genetic condition.
2: Stephen's on the autism spectrum. Stephen is nonverbal. Stephen has seizures. Uh, Depends on us for really everything. So that has certainly shaped how I view the world.
1: What do you plan on doing with the priest abuse scandal and sex trafficking?
2: It'd be premature to comment on any pending litigation or actual cases until we're briefed on it and start moving forward. But they're fair questions. It's just, you know, right now my job is to to learn as much as I can about what's happening in that office.
1: In addition to the clergy abuse scandal, Josh Hawley also launched an investigation of Google and added Missouri to a multi-state lawsuit against Obamacare. We'll soon see how Schmidt proceeds after meeting with Hawley.
2: Schmidt tells him is a major. He says he'll be listening to prosecutors enforcement. I'm up for the challenge. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a great opportunity to serve the state that I love. Schmidt practiced law before resigning to become state treasurer in
1: 2016. He says to look at how he handled municipal court reform as a senator for an idea of his leadership.
2: We had African-American clergy with the ACLU, with conservative groups, with law enforcement, all rowing in the same direction. That's my style.
0: All right, Vic. Mr. Schmidt wouldn't delve into how he might proceed with some of the matters that his predecessor took on. What type of roadmap is there for how Schmidt may go into the waters that Mr. Holly did?
1: Well, I mean, he's very conservative. We know that we're gonna see that come out, I I believe. I mean, he hasn't changed from who he's been once he got into politics and certainly who he is and it plays well in Missouri. What's interesting, I think too, is the fact that when he was state treasurer, even going back to when he was a Missouri senator, he's been transparent. He uses the word transparency a lot. I don't think it was a matter of him not wanting to answer those questions right now. I think he actually needs to put a bow on state treasurer roles and then get into the role of being attorney general to see what exactly is going on. Yeah, are there surface education that he has been given already on some of the things yeah of course he has or i don't think he would have taken that job anyway
0: jack i'm gonna bring you in now and ask you pretty much that same question how do you think schmidt might navigate some of the cases that mr Holly's taken on
3: well he um it's hard to say like like Vic said um he he hasn't uh really said what what he'll do but if you're wondering you know he he'll probably follow the same template as Holly. Um, Holly uh, uh, introduced a federalism unit that's that's specifically to sue the federal government. and he got rid of an environmental unit that uh, handled some of the state's uh, most complicated cases. Um, and those were both uh, the the environmental unit was started under uh, Jay Nixon, who was one of Hawley's predecessors. Um, and a Democrat, so um, you, you see uh, less of a willingness to prosecute some things, more of a willingness to prosecute other things, um, to go after other things, I should say, um, and and you might see some of that, but but also he's he's kind of. Um, he has a record of public service, so he, he does have a record of fighting for municipal court reforms and, and some like libertarian things like civil asset forfeiture and marijuana reform that you don't really see um, with, with other Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with that in his role as attorney general, um, because the attorney general is the state's chief law enforcement officer, and he has delved into some of those issues as a a legislator.
0: And Vic, I know this might seem like a bit of a ridiculous question considering the fact that he is not officially the attorney general yet, but do you think he runs for another term in 2020 or possibly even seeks a higher
1: office? I do, and we can talk more about that too, because I know you had some thoughts on what you first saw when you saw the story too. I mean, where he is and how he's going to handle his position. Yeah,
4: Vic, I think one of the things that uh, Jack alluded to that I think we need to keep in mind is that as a state senator, uh, Schmidt brought probably the most significant reform after Ferguson, which is to say limit municipalities on how much they can, how much money they can take for their budgets through traffic enforcement. And there, there were some municipalities that just didn't have much of a tax base, and so they would literally ticket and ticket and fine and fine to make up the bulk of their, or at least a large percentage, of their budgets.
1: So they can't do that anymore in Missouri and that's thanks to Eric Schmidt. He talked about that too and that's what makes me think getting back to your question. I think he wants, he really genuinely wants to be liked not just, just by conservatives and he's a strong conservative with a strong conservative background but I think he really does want everybody to like him. That's the type of guy he is. When he talks about compassion you see it. He does have compassion and he talks about Caucasians, he talks about the African-Americans, he talks about all races of people, men, women, because that's, I mean, keep in mind, he grew up very, he grew up poor. You know, his dad was working those 12 hour shifts that I talked about. First as a butcher, then at Anheuser-Busch, and I think that's part of who he is as a guy. But obviously, as we know, when you have a statewide office, you're not going to be able to please everybody. And I think he understands that. And then once he jumps into these cases, we'll see. He told me they could have they have as many as 40,000 open cases right now in the state. Blew my mind. Now, most of them we don't care about or need to know about. But there are some big ones, and we're gonna find out real quick how he plans on handling those.
0: And some of those cases, Jack, have created some controversy, at least as Mr. Hawley has handled them. How does Schmidt either clean up or avoid some of the pitfalls that some have accused Mr. Hawley of falling into?
3: Well, one of the things that we're gonna to have to watch for is 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 whether Josh Hawley in his last couple months as Attorney General, whether he releases anything on uh, Governor Eric Greitens, Um, Holly was investigating, uh, Greitens' ties to his charity. Uh, the mission continues, and he was investigating whether Greitens used taxpayer resources for political gain. So all the, these, both of these investigations have been ongoing for months and Holly hasn't updated us. Um, so will he release something before he leaves for the Senate or is he going to dump that on Eric Schmidt's desk? I think is a fair question. And, um, I, I, you know, a, a lot of other things. So, um, Catholic clergy, sex abuse, um, that, that investigation could take years to complete. Um, and, uh, there, there's several other things, Google and Facebook and, um, public safety things like, uh, Holly sued the, uh, Branson duck boat, uh, company, um, after an accident there over the summer, he sued the St. Louis housing authority over uninhabitable units. Um. So a, a lot of these matters take several years to um, to, to address, and uh, and and we'll see uh, what he does uh, there. And and you know he has a lot of latitude to launch his own investigations and file his own lawsuits. So um, each attorney general kind of has a lot of leeway to um, uh, to make blaze their own trail, if you will.
0: All right, very good. We have to stop our discussion there. Jack Sundrup, we thank you for your time on this Saturday morning. Vic Faust, we thank you for being here as well. Still to come here on Postscripts, the city of St. Louis, a few steps closer to having a professional soccer team. The moves made in that process this week. David Hun breaks it all down with us, coming up. Welcome back to Postscripts. On Thursday, a City Economic Development Board approved two tax breaks for a proposed Major League Soccer Stadium in downtown St. Louis. The Land Clearance for Redevelopment Authority passed its part of a $30 million state tax credit deal, plus a full break on stadium construction materials. To discuss it with us this morning is Post-Dispatch reporter David Hun. David, first, welcome back to St. Louis and welcome back to the Stadium Beat start by bringing us up to speed on these latest developments.
5: Yeah, th- thanks so much for, for, for the welcome back. Uh, it's really it's really good to be here. Uh, e- even the snow this past week was kind of beautiful to see. Not, not a lot of snow in Houston, you know. <laughs> so uh, the latest
0: developments, take um, us through them.
5: Yeah, so uh, this week early on, we got a, a sense of what the incentive package was gonna be in terms of tax breaks. And, and as you said, they're, they're looking at a $30 million tax break from the state plus a 50% tax break on the ticket taxes. And, and then we also saw how they're gonna make a little bit more money. They're starting a three 1% taxes in these various special districts that the city will develop, um, and those will bring them some more millions, probably that they'll use for ongoing operations. Other than that, they've got a few other breaks, including a, uh, a, a, full, a full break on construction material taxes. So that, that'll save them eight million bucks. Um, that said, I, you know, I think one of the things that makes this project stand out it, it, right now, in the early stages, you know, as we're learning more about it, is that it's almost entirely privately financed. The Taylors have said they're going to put in as much as $250 million immediately. Uh, they'll, they'll probably borrow a little bit in private financing. Now, that's very different from public borrowing, right? Um, this, is, this is an almost entirely privately funded deal. The would-be
0: owners of the franchise told you that the league has not discussed a franchise or expansion fee, which could crest $150 million. That's not been discussed with them yet. Right. What was the sense that you got as to how that would be paid for or actually what that figure could even be?
5: Yeah, right. It's a really good question. So the last two teams that got expansions, their fees were $150 million. Uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, the other one's skipping my brain right now. But the, but those were both 150 million, and so I think the you, you know that's that's the ballpark that we're looking at here. If it goes higher than that, um, the, the the ownership group has already said that they would just chip in more. So, I mean, they, you know, they're they're kind of saying we're going to cover everything. And Christopher, that could perhaps be what really seals the deal as far as
0: public opinion on this is concerned. It already, I think, is faring better in the public than what we saw the last time around, certainly better than what we saw with the Rams. Uh, That might just be what kind of puts a nice big bow on this thing if all the money works out. It's certainly a better deal for
4: taxpayers. You know, there are some, uh, as David was explaining, some benefits up front, but nothing where taxpayers are going to be paying out Money year over after year after year, such as some of these other things, and the ownership group here—they uh, in comments in David's stories—they appear very confident that they're going to get the team from uh, Major League Soccer. That they, they—they—they don't even have any doubts about that. They feel like this is kind of a must do situation, you know, and and wouldn't that be great? St. Louis is definitely a soccer town. We've got thousands and thousands and thousands of kids playing soccer. We've got a a good fan base sort of already built in. Uh, There's not a lot of competition without an NFL team. So there are a lot of uh, positives. It looks to me uh, for this uh, dream to become a reality.
5: And David, with that in mind, I'll ask
0: you to let us know where this moves next.
5: Yeah, right. So um the the teams yeah, I think probably the most interesting news of the week from my perspective is that all of this rigmarole and getting all these incentives together Really, none of it's binding now. They're still working out the details. But what it really suggests is that the team's gonna get its application together. And, and when, when I talked to the ownership group, they indeed said that they, they'd like to get their, their application into the MLS by as soon as early December. One of their lawyers said December 1, they'll have some documents there. They'd like to have Don Garber, the commissioner of the MLS, into St. Louis by the middle of December. And, and just real quick, to, to Christopher's point, um, you know, all of these, used, all the taxes that they're adding, they're all just on the stadium, and I think that's a big difference from the last one. You know, this time around, you're going to get taxed extra, extra dollars for the hot dog or beer or whatever that you buy at the stadium, but there's no citywide tax whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So that that's a big difference. Let me add one more thing, and forgive me. The other point is that the aldermen may not like the fact that they're adding taxes if they're financing everything out of their own pockets. It's like, why would, why would we give you extra taxes if you already have all the money? So that's going to be an interesting thing for us to watch going forward. David Hun, a
0: wonderful addition in your return to the Post-Dispatch, and we're certainly glad to have you back Thank on you. Postscripts. We'll be talking very soon. Still to come here on Postscripts, the holiday season is a popular time to be swamped with deliveries, but mystery packages are piling up at a local home.
6: We got a uh, down comforter. We got an oscillating fan. We got 1,500-count sheets for a twin bed.
0: The scam sending unwanted orders to homes across the country. Welcome back to Postscripts. The holiday shopping season has started for many shoppers, and that means packages frequently arriving on our doorsteps. That's been happening almost daily for one St. Louis County family, except they haven't ordered any of the products they've received.
6: We got a down comforter, we got a oscillating fan, we got 1500 count sheets for a twin bed. And that's just three of
0: more than two dozen items shipped randomly to this St. Louis County family's home. We're not identifying them for their safety.
6: Approximately three months ago we received a package and it was addressed to a family member and then the next day we got two packages.
0: As the packages continued to arrive, their suspicion continued to grow. Odder than the products they received, is the fact they didn't order any of them. It's not like you're getting sent junk.
6: Not at all. Matter of fact, a a lot of the invoices that did come with the merchandise uh, showed a value or a charge, in quotes, of $60 and above.
0: This phenomenon is happening to other families across the country. I didn't know if I would be billed for it. I mean, you just don't know what could happen. Initially, it was uh, somewhat
4: uh, uh, comical.
0: It's a scam called brushing online sellers create fake buyer accounts and ship products to a real address the seller then writes a positive review of its products from the fake buyer account because positive product reviews help drive online sales
1: and they're trying to bypass the authentication processes that online marketplaces try to put into place to make sure that customer reviews are real and not fake
3: it did not cost hardly anything to send this but The merchant that sent this out is most likely using this opportunity to give themselves raving reviews to make more money.
0: But here's what makes this St. Louis case different. Most of the brushing cases involve Amazon shipments, usually from overseas sellers. None of the products our local family receive came from Amazon and all appear to be from domestic vendors. This one is unique because it's sold to someone in Pittsburgh but shipped to your family member. Correct. I tracked down the Pennsylvania woman this supplement was allegedly sold to. She said she didn't buy the pills. While her name and address were accurate on the invoice, she told me the cell phone number and email address listed don't belong to her. I also contacted Now Foods. A company representative told me there were no signs of fraud and that it didn't seem like a brushing scam since it doesn't post reviews on its website or allow third-party sellers on nowfoods.com. Still, something didn't seem right.
6: You haven't used anything and don't intend to until we make sure that there's nothing going on here.
0: All right, Christopher, an interesting situation to say the least. The question is what exactly is going on here? Well, even though it was not Amazon shipments coming to the home and even though these appear to not be coming from overseas sellers, it's a brushing scam. By all intents and purposes, it's a brushing scam.
4: All right. So that brings up
0: <laughs> a real question. I have the same question about a lot
4: of these alleged email scans, scams uh, or even scams on Craigslist. So what are the bad guys getting out of this? Why is this going on? How would they, how would they get value out of just shipping something somewhere that it
0: doesn't belong they then can create a review so they're sending it to this person they're then creating a fake review that this person has written they're writing it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. talking about the benefits of their products so that they can give themselves five stars thus improving their rating and when I buy online I, I know I'm not alone in this I'm usually looking at those Highly rated products over the lesser rated. Absolutely, products. I do the same exact thing. But so what
4: you're saying then is—is this—is this right that the positive review is actually worth more
0: to the company than the cost of the actual product? Yeah, it, that appears to be the case. Wow. Amazon has actually taken a bit of a stance against this. They say that they are investigating any of these type of claims that these are fraudulent reviews. So uh, if you get those packages. I'm sorry, uh, some of you may enjoy that, because there are some cool things that can come, but uh, still it kind of remains to be seen if there's uh, any long-term issue that could So if I get a package and I didn't order it, what do I do, Mike? I think you can keep it. I mean, that's everything that I've researched about this. All right, you heard You it can here. keep it. You can keep it, all right. all right. Thank you, Christopher. Coming up next here on Postscripts, we'll take a look at what's trending up, trending down, and a trend to watch for the coming week. Time to see what's trending up, trending down, and a trend to look for in the week ahead. Christopher has that first. What's up? Well, trending up, Mike, or should I say,
4: sort of up. The Loop Trolley took longer than anyone thought it would to get here. Finally, Friday Friday service started, kind of. The line is supposed to be 2.2 miles. It didn't quite make it the full route on Friday, its first day ever of, of operation. You know, it's supposed to simulate development in tourism, we just hope that this Loop Trolley gets all of its problems ironed out because this could be good news for the St. Louis region if it's working. All right, what's trending down? Trending down Facebook took a beating this week from critics over how it handled the spread of fake news and disinformation. The New York Times revealed that it had hired a public relations firm that encouraged reporters to look into dirt on Facebook's rivals, such as Google, and perceived enemies like Democrat mega-donor George Soros. Facebook denied much of the story, but the sting lingers
0: and a trend to watch
4: well CNN's White House reporter Jim Acosta won a victory in court Friday when a judge ruled that the president Donald Trump could not yank his press credentials although some hailed the decision as a victory for the First Amendment the judge was careful to note that he wasn't ruling on First Amendment principles he mainly decided the administration didn't follow proper procedure So the question now is will the legal battle continue it looks like the two sides might have a settlement here and we hope that's true a negative decision for either side
0: could be hurtful. All right, Christopher, thank you very much. And we thank you for watching Postscripts here on Fox 2. We hope to return to our regularly scheduled time on Sunday mornings in a couple of weeks. We hope to see you back here next week as well when Postscripts returns on Saturday morning at 5.30. Have a great week.